Arc Worlds Publishing presents The Guild of Tokens Podcast by John Auerbach, read by Tavia Gilbert. Guild of Tokens, Enforcer, Part 3. The sky was blue, the water was warm, and Beatrice was drunk. It was the last day of her bachelorette, and a part of her didn't ever want to leave the sun-soaked Bahamian beach to return to the miserable February snow and to the aftermath of Garrett's likely debauchery in Las Vegas. She thought about drugging him so full of memory serum that he wouldn't even remember what transpired, but hoped that alcohol had done the job for her. She finished her third mojito and signaled to the waiter further down the beach for another. The rest of her compatriots were still passed out from the previous night's festivities, and Beatrice would have been too if she had not cranked out an extra batch of vitality buffs before the trip. As much as she appreciated the anti-hangover effects of the buff after a hard night of partying, what she really found intoxicating was the feeling of rejuvenation that came with it. It was like she was a goddess in ancient Greece, not bound by the rules of physiology that applied to the mere mortals around her. Beatrice absentmindedly fiddled with the ring on her finger while she waited for the waiter to return. She'd left her engagement ring back home for safekeeping. If this whole engagement became an intolerable disaster, it would at least provide her with some cash to live on for a year or two. No, the only ring on her finger was the amethyst ring that had cost her an even greater fortune than Garrett had spent. The jeweler had extracted a princely sum for the ring, not just in tokens, but in bags of buffs and jars full of memory and truth serum. The transaction had wiped out her existing stores and then some. It had taken Beatrice nearly five months to make enough of what the jeweler wanted. And when she finally delivered the last installment, he had simply handed the ring over to her with barely an explanation of what it did. She'll lend you her strength in times of need, was all he had said, before disappearing into the back room and not returning. Beatrice had put on the ring and wasn't surprised when nothing had happened. But as the weeks passed and she still hadn't figured out the ring's secret or why the jeweler had referred to it as a she, Beatrice was beginning to suspect she had been had. Her suspicion was confirmed when she had returned to the jeweler's shop just a week before the bachelorette, to find a cluckawing restaurant in its place, and the neighboring shop owners having no recollection of there ever not being a cluckawing there. She had half a mind of reporting the incident to the questing council, but had decided against it, as she had already drawn too much attention to herself. Beatrice closed her eyes and listened to the gentle lapping of the waves on the sand. She needed a new ally, and fast, to help her sort through all the questing intricacies for two reasons. First, without a second quester, she was cut off from the raid board. Not that she had seen any enforcement mechanism of the two or more people rule for raids, but their complexity necessitated another pair of hands. She had a few promising leads working their way up the ladder she had created, and hopefully one of them would bear fruit, but that took time. And second, it was only a matter of time before she got a new tip from her source about an especially important raid. She still had no idea who this person was. One day, several years ago, she had been minding her own business, looking for another seemingly pointless quest to complete, when her Q-mail inbox flashed open with one unread message. 
It was a short one, just a set of numbers, which Beatrice thankfully copied down because the message deleted itself after a minute. After spending hours trying to figure out what the numbers were, she finally narrowed it down to a library call number. Which was all well and good, except that there were probably over a hundred libraries in the city, and if the call number wasn't in the online catalog, which she suspected it wasn't, she was looking at untold hours of work. But Beatrice was nothing if not relentless, and so, after almost a year of digging, she had finally found it, Rita von Asch's diary, and along with it, the secret of the magic flowing through the world. That had been the catalyst that had ignited the spark of her burning desire to ascend to the top of the questing ranks, to become the best alchemist the city had ever seen. The mysterious notes continued appearing in her cue mail, leading her to more discoveries. To be honest, she resented the amount of help the notes had provided her. Sure, she would probably still be wandering around aimlessly fetching junk for lazy questers without them, but Beatrice had spent most of her adult life pulling herself up by her own bootstraps. It was part of the reason she resented Garrett, whose entire life had been one giant handout. She tried to make peace with it, that she deserved the comfort and stability that Garrett's money would provide her. But instead, all she felt was an even bigger desire to prove herself, to not let that cushy lifestyle make her soft. That had meant late nights in her lab, Days spent in dusty library archives, weeks spent trekking around the small bits of wilderness still left in the city, and, of course, that trip to Corfu, where all on her own she had found the crown jewel of her arsenal, the Meadow Blad. Beatrice opened her eyes, hoping to see a full mojito on the table next to her. Instead, her empty glass was gone, and in its place was a small ivory envelope set under a small rock an envelope sealed with a wax seal bearing a familiar sigil. Beatrice shot up from her chair and ran down the beach, hoping to catch a glimpse of whoever had left the envelope. After jogging nearly halfway back to the hotel beach bar and finding no trace of anyone, she walked slowly back to her chair. The Illyrian in the sigil glared up at her with its singular eye, and Beatrice felt her heart skip a beat. She tore open the envelope and pulled out the small piece of paper tucked inside, which was blank. Beatrice turned the paper over and found the back blank, too. She ran her fingers across both sides, trying to feel for impressions left by a pen or some other substance that had been surreptitiously applied. But there simply wasn't anything there. A shiver rippled through Beatrice's body, and she felt exposed in a way that she hadn't felt in a long time. She kicked the sand and cursed herself for being so careless. Was she that naive to really think the guild was going to just leave her alone? After she had lied to Gilbert and flouted her alchemy prowess by buying that ring? She wanted to scream, to take the ring off and toss it in the ocean and just run away. But the guild had just demonstrated that it could track her wherever she was, so what would be the point? No, she wouldn't be cowed so easily. She was Beatrice Stollard, master alchemist. And she wasn't going to let someone like Gilbert push her around. The ground was cold and Beatrice was dying. Whatever strength still remained in her body was fleeing as fast as the blood was pouring out of the gash in her thigh, an unfortunate consequence of the misused strength buff. 
Even now, in her darkest hour of need, the stupid ring sat there dormant. It was her own fault, really. She should have forced the jeweler to explain the inner workings of her purchase. After all, who buys a half-million-dollar piece of factory equipment and doesn't make sure it comes with an instruction manual? What was she supposed to do, ask the ring for help as if it were a real person? That would be a start, yes, said a voice. Beatrice opened her eyes to see the boots of the enforcer turned away from her, but the pain was too great to look any further for the source of the new voice. She shut her eyes again and concentrated on a thought. Who said that, said Beatrice in her mind. I did, said the same voice. It was a woman's voice, that much Beatrice concluded, but the words were laced with an unplaceable accent. Who, who are you, she asked. A flicker of light appeared in the back corner of Beatrice's mind. It was purple, the same color as the stone. The flicker slowly gained shape until Beatrice could make out the faint figure of a woman. I am nobody. Well, I was somebody once. That was a long time ago, though. Now, I am nothing more than an essence distilled into a rock, perched upon the finger of a woman who is about to die. I don't understand, thought Beatrice. How can you be as much as I would love to have this conversation right now? If I do not lend you my strength, that very large man standing above you will begin slicing you open and letting your insides drain out of you. Oh, thought Beatrice, then please lend me your strength. That's it, said the voice. No, that is not sufficient. I have been trapped in here a long time, and I am not going to give you my power simply because you said, please. What then, said Beatrice. She felt the anger building inside her, and her head began to spin, a haze beginning to envelop the internal world in her mind. Beatrice tried to suppress it, tried to return to the stoic frame she maintained day in and day out, but she couldn't. Instead, she unleashed the torrent of rage that she had been holding back for so long. You want me to beg like a dog? To plead on my knees for you to save me, is that it? I didn't kowtow to Gilbert or his brood or anyone else in my life, and I'm certainly not about to do so to an incorporeal voice in my head. So either give me your strength, or let me just die already. The figure in her mind crystallized for just a moment, and Beatrice could barely see the face of the woman. Her eyes shone with the same color as the ring, and her mouth curled upwards in a smile. Gladly. Beatrice felt her right hand begin to tremble, and she opened her eyes to see the amethyst stone glowing softly. The light continued to brighten, and she felt a surge of power pour into her body. It was similar to the strength buff, but only as a tabby and a lion are both technically cats, this was raw, undistilled power, not the pale imitation that Beatrice had created in her lab. As strength poured out of the ring, so too did the purple glow. It spread over her like a protective shield, and Beatrice finally pushed herself up from the ground. She held her hands in front of her, and they shimmered with the purple aura of her mysterious benefactor. The enforcer turned around to face her once again. You're still alive, 
He stared at the light enveloping her, a look of confusion on his face. What's this about then? You eat another one of your little candies? Beatrice smiled, the wound in her thigh nothing but a pinprick. No. Oh, he said, pointing the blood-stained knife toward her. Then it shouldn't take long to finish. She shook her head. I don't think so. The brute laughed. We already went through this song and dance. Now, if you don't mind, just let me kill you so I can get on with my evening. He lunged forward clumsily with the blade, but Beatrice was ready. She caught his knife-wielding hand with her own and dug her fingers into his wrist like she was squeezing a tomato. The enforcer screamed, dropping the knife to the ground and trying to wrest his hand free, but Beatrice wouldn't let him. She tightened her grip, heard the crunch of bones breaking, and saw the man's hand go limp. Now it was the brute who was cowering with fear. Please, the enforcer said. Can't you just- Just what? asked Beatrice. Let you go? After what you were going to do to me with this? She bent down to pick up the knife and pointed it at him, her outstretched arm gleaming with power. The man's body began to tremble as he nodded slowly, and Beatrice relished the role reversal. She felt invincible, unstoppable, unbreakable. Still, the nagging pain at her side was slowly returning, and she looked down briefly to see blood seeping down her leg, a minor inconvenience that she would deal with shortly. Sure, but I want you to deliver a message for me to your boss. Any, anything, said the enforcer, practically whimpering. You tell him that Beatrice Taylor is under nobody's thumb. She reversed her grip on the knife, stepped forward, and smashed the handle into the man's neck with all of her strength. The enforcer collapsed onto the ground, and Beatrice tossed the knife at his crumpled form before turning and walking away. She only made it another 20 feet before the purple aura suddenly evaporated, and with it, Beatrice's consciousness. The room was white. White walls, white sheets, white drapes, and a white tray of food perched on a stand next to Beatrice's bed. She stared at the unappetizing cup of jello and the small carton of juice and frowned, before a shooting pain erupted along her thigh. The door opened in that moment, and in walked Garrett. B, you're awake. Beatrice looked at her husband with a blank expression, trying to recall how it was that she ended up in a hospital room overlooking Central Park. Her head hurt, which was odd, because she could have sworn the reason she was in the hospital had something to do with the throbbing on her thigh. Then, like the morning fog on the water burning off from the rays of the rising sun, it all came back to her. The dinner, the walk in the park, the ambush, and the ring. You're late, she said matter-of-factly. I waited for you at dinner and you never showed. What are you talking about, said Garrett. I waited for you at dinner and you never showed. No, I was at Joel Daniels for over an hour and you were definitely not there. What? Why did you go there? You changed the reservation to Café des Arts last week, remember? You texted me that you were able to get a table off the wait list. I most certainly did not. Why the hell would you think I... 
Oh. The events of the evening suddenly all snapped into place. This second reservation, the blocked off roads, it had all been a setup so Beatrice could walk right into the trap that Gilbert had sprung for her. Sorry, she said. I must have forgotten. What time am I getting discharged? Garrett looked at her like she was an insane person. B, do you not realize? You've been in a coma for a week. The doctor said it was lucky that the jogger found you when he did, otherwise you might have bled out. Oh, well, lucky for me then, I guess. What about the guy who did this to me? He locked up somewhere? Not exactly, said Garrett, who lowered his eyes toward the floor. What, she asked. Well, he's, um, he's dead. Paramedics found him close to where you had collapsed. A knife wedged into his abdomen. Beatrice's eyes widened. She hadn't done that, had she? It's okay, I already talked to the police days ago. They're not going to charge you. Obviously, it was self-defense. They just want to talk to you when you're up for it. I think they want to know how a five-foot-nothing like you managed to take out a guy four times your size. No, I, I mean, I didn't hit. Before she could finish the thought, Garrett had wrapped his arms gingerly around her and began stroking her back, which made her almost want to vomit. It's all right. Everything's going to be okay. I'm just glad that you're awake. I thought I had lost you. Garrett began to sob into Beatrice's shoulder, and she found herself comforting him, which was odd, given the circumstances. Her body was still too weak to return the hug, so all she could do was rest her chin on his head. Sorry, didn't mean to. Just need to get some fresh air. I'll be right back. Garrett quickly stood up from the bed and walked out of the room, leaving Beatrice alone once again. Not wanting to deal with the mental fallout of having killed yet another person, Beatrice closed her eyes and tried to fall back asleep. It didn't work. She eventually heard footsteps approach her bedside and quickly retreat. The orderly, she suspected, clearing her uneaten food. Except when she opened her eyes a crack a few minutes later, the tray of food was still there, along with a small ivory envelope sealed with a wax sigil. Beatrice jolted upright and grabbed the envelope, sending another stab of pain through her body. She ignored it and broke open the seal to reveal a piece of paper with a short message written in blood-red ink. Message received. Best regards, Gilbert. Guild of Tokens, written by John Auerbach and read by Tavia Gilbert. Sign up for John's monthly newsletter at johnauerbach.com forward slash audio. That's J-O-N-A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H dot com forward slash audio and receive a free copy of Guild of Tokens Origins. <laughs>